Well, I think most of us are here, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in. Welcome to Men of the Word. We are so excited that you guys are here and really excited to jump into our, our new study together. Uh, this is an environment here at Emmaus to study the Scriptures. We have a lot of different discipleship environments at our church, but this is one of them where we really want to help you build discipline in your personal time in God's Word. We want to see you grow in your daily study of Scripture. We want to see you develop um, community with other brothers. We want to see you find uh, accountability for obedience with other men in our church. And so that's why we created this room. Uh, it's a place for you to uh, learn how to invest in your walk with the Lord and really make some investments so that you can grow. And uh, it's one of my favorite rooms in our church. It's one of my favorite times of the year. So I'm glad. I've been looking forward to September 28th for a long time now. And uh, it's been really fun to see the list. Guys sign up late. So like a week ago, I was like, man, nobody's coming to Men of the Word. Uh, and then all of a sudden, here, here you all are. So uh, glad you decided to jump in. I'm praying that this will be an incredible study uh, for us this fall. So today's week one. We're going to go 10 weeks this fall. Uh, we're studying the book of Acts. If you missed that memo, uh, hopefully you saw it as you picked up your book this morning. But uh, uh, this fall, we'll be covering part one of Acts. So in the spring, we'll do part two. Uh, we're going to go through chapter 12 of the book of Acts this fall. Uh, we'll pick up in, in chapter 13 in the spring and go all the way to 28. Uh, and I'm really beyond excited to be digging into the book of Acts. I don't know how long it's been for you guys since you've read Acts, if you've ever studied the book of Acts. Uh, but I studied about a year ago uh, in my own quiet times, and that's what, what birthed the idea to do it here. Um, but then out of that, uh, ha- have continued to study it in, in preparation for this. And yesterday I just took three hours and read through the whole part one again, all, all of chapter, chapters one through 12. And uh, my heart was just, I, I'm, I can't express how excited I am for, for this study, for what God has for us, for uh, what, what the Holy Spirit has to teach each of us as we go along. So uh, today's all overview. My goal is to get you ready for this study. Tomorrow is really when you'll begin reading through Acts and beginning to study, but uh, as much as possible, uh, I'm going to try to get us acclimated to a new format of study. These books are new to us, um, but I'm going to guide you through that. I also want to just sort of prepare your hearts for what we're going to do, hopefully summon up some good motivation in them uh, for diving into this study together. But before we do any of that, let me pray for us, and, uh, and then we'll jump in. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are grateful, Lord, to have grace. We're grateful for the cross and, and the ability for us to draw near to your throne because of the blood of Jesus. There's nothing that separates us from you, Lord, when we have been covered by your blood, when we have been uh, propitiated, our wrath has been forgiven, uh, your wrath has been forgiven, and, and uh, our sins have been forgiven, and we can now draw near to you to receive grace and to receive help. Father, to find you in the pages of Scripture, to hear your voice, to know you, to follow you, to grow strong through your word. So I pray that all of that would happen over the next 10 weeks, Lord. I pray for the men who are coming in here and already have rigorous, disciplined habits in their life of studying Scripture. Lord, I pray that this would be a a place where they'd find deeper community in that and um, enjoy the, the blessings of fellowship in studying God's word together. But also pray, Lord, for, for those of us who are struggling with discipline in our time in your word. Father, we're in, in the day-to-day, we're really just not in it. We, we love you. We love, um, we love your word. But, Father, we just aren't prioritizing our time in your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, grow us. I pray that you would challenge us and provoke us and remind us of the value of this book. 
the value of the scriptures in our life, Lord, that we might be men of your word, men who diligently uh, consume it and, and grow from it, Lord, grow stronger for uh, our families, grow stronger for our, our co-workers and our communities, Lord, for our church. So um, be with us as we go through uh, our time together this morning, as we go through this study this semester. Father, we ask for your spirit to be present and to speak through your word and, and to convict us of sin and to grow us in the likeness of Christ. Uh, guide our time. It's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I'll start with this. Uh, I want to take some time to give you an overview of why we do Men of the Word. I'll, I'll warn you if you have, uh, how many of you are brand new, have never done Men of the Word with us before? So a handful of guys, returners, I know there's a bunch of faces I've seen before. Everybody who's returning apparently sits on this side of the room. Well done. Um, well, if, if you've been here before, some of this stuff will be a little bit repetitive. I hope that nonetheless it'll be good reminders for your soul. But why do we do Men of the Word? Why are we seeking to, to study the Scriptures together like this? We really have two goals in mind um, that, that uh, are the, the aims that we're trying to achieve, the targets before our eyes, so to speak. First one is this, we're seeking to develop spiritual maturity in our church. We're trying to push back against the shallowness and immaturity of our age and, and help you guys grow. And we believe that as you guys grow, it'll, it'll strengthen and deepen the maturity of our church in general. I'm not sure if you've looked around lately, but we live in an age of what you could call rampant superficiality in our culture today. Our society, our culture are bending towards a general lack of depth in almost every part of our lives from intellect to entertainment there's just like a thinning that is happening in our in our world um, just a few areas I was thinking about uh, first relationships there's a there's a you know trading of, of the richness of fellowship and conversation for you know the veneer of digital relationships on social media we have traded you know the warmth of conversation for the ones and zeros of, of texting and of emails and of uh, communication over social media. Many people prefer to watch people's lives and, and look at pictures of how people are doing rather than talk to them. Uh, you know, it's so normative actually even for young people that a lot of young people today are growing up into adulthood without the ability to have conversations. Maybe some of even your, your children, your, your teenagers, uh, you've noticed this trend and they, they struggle to make a phone call. They struggle to have a conversation with somebody at at the store, they, they struggle to, uh, to interact with people in a personal way because they're so used to doing it digitally. And it's not just you know, youth, it's, it's all of us. We are all tempted to keep to ourselves, so to speak, and to not invest in relationships. I mean, think about it. How many people have uh, you really like, shared your heart with? How many people know about the anxieties that you're facing at work right now? How many people know about the stresses that you're facing in your home environment? Uh, how many people know about the successes, the joys that, that are in your life right now? I mean, uh, the, the biggest you know, rocks in your life, the biggest uh, you know, stones in your heart, so to speak, who, who knows about those things? Do you actually have brothers that you're confiding in and opening up to and, and sharing with? It's rare to have it in this day and age. You know, we're, we live in a thin age. It, it, it's true in relationships. I think it's also true in knowledge, in our age of um, internet and, and technology. Like, we have instant access to unlimited information at the tips of our fingers at all time. You know, if you have a question, you can just ask Siri. You, if you have a, a, a problem you're trying to solve, you can go to YouTube. You can 
You can Google it. You can figure out how to solve it. Um, in the past, it wasn't so. If you wanted an answer to a question, you had to go find a book about it. You had to go to a library, set up time to get there, search through the catalog, look through those drawers with all the little... Uh, some of you remember that. Some of you think I'm crazy. Um, but uh, but it, there, was, there was effort required to gain knowledge. And, and now it's very easy. Well, guess what the problem with that is? Guess what provokes intellectual growth and creativity in your mind. Striving and effort and sort of that tension, that, that process, that time and effort that you put into acquiring knowledge is what actually makes it stick into your brain. So you, you can actually read this. There's a great book called The Shallows that sort of, the subtitle is How the Internet is Destroying Our Brains or something like that, How the Internet is Changing Our Brains. But the biggest, uh, he, he's a scientific, he's not a, a believer, he's a New York Times researcher, but he... Um, he wrote an article basically to, that became a book, basically to showcase how the internet is changing our brains. And we have become a less, we don't remember things very well. We, because information is so easy to access, our brain knows, I don't have to remember this, I can look it back up tomorrow. But the problem with that is your subconscious then is not able to make connections between thoughts. It's not able to, to have this bank of information that it contemplates when you're sleeping and when you're not thinking about the information. And, and those connections that your subconscious makes is often where you know, the deepest uh, thinking comes from, where the, the, the most creative thinking comes from. So all that to be said, we're becoming a thin people intellectually. We're not as creative as we used to be. I don't know when the next you know, Mozart or Bach is going to arrive on the scene because we just don't think those ways anymore. I think it's also true not just in relationships and in intellect, but also in entertainment. You know, in the past, people would play games. Uh, in the past, people would go you know, listen to music live. You know, now we, we rather than, than playing games, we watch them. Rather than reading books for entertainment, you know, we watch shows. Most of our modern diversions are very passive. We sit still in a chair and we watch things happening. Entertainment is a very passive activity. Uh, research shows that the average adult uh, spends, anybody want to guess how many days, how many hours per day watching uh, television? It's not six, it is three. 3.1 hours a day is average. So some people, it's more than that. I don't know where they have that time, but um, <laughs> some people it's less. Uh, that, that makes up, on average, 27 hours a week. Uh, so that's a full day, one out of seven, that you are watching TV. In the last uh, year, if you were to combine all that together, if you just wanted to start your year with only television and watch it from when you woke up to when you went to bed 16 hours a day, it would take you 71 days. So, you know, well into March before you were done with your TV and then you could get on with the rest of your life. Um, anybody curious about which state has the, the highest number of hours watching TV? Georgia. West Virginia. They like TV up there. It's almost four hours a day uh, up there. They got nothing else to do. Uh, lowest one is actually Alaska, which is a little bit surprising because, you know, half the year they're in utter darkness, so they have nothing to do outside. Um, but, but it's uh, only, only 1.8 hours a day up there. Um, but all this doesn't even include, like, smartphone use and things like that. So we just, my point is this, all of it combines to this superficiality veneer, this temptation, this inclination in our, in our hearts towards superficiality. And what's dangerous about that is when you inject all those realities into our spiritual life, what can happen is uh, just a, a reality that is really dangerous. Persistent spiritual immaturity. You can be a Christ follower for 
for years. You can be even in a, a faithful, healthy church with, with sound Bible teaching for years, and yet you are a listener and a spectator, and you're not a participant yourself. And you're not engaging with God's Word on your own. You're not, your, your prayer life, if it exists at all, is, is weak and thin and shallow and quick prayers at mealtimes. Your, your time in the Word is, maybe you are reading the Bible daily, but you're just you know, reading it to get it done and, and a quick skimming of, of Scripture rather than a deep studying. Rather than you know, studying theology, you sit back and let you know, pastors know the theology. They're the, they're the experts. They're the pros. I don't need to know uh, theological truths about who God is. There's actually a fascinating study that was just released by uh, Ligonier called uh, The State of Theology. Anybody familiar with this study? They do it every two years, and it's an investigative report into America at large and evangelicals in particular to understand what Christians believe uh, and, and how that compares with what we should believe. And uh, so the 2022 study was just released last week, and it's fascinating. If you want to go Google it, I would encourage you to. Just Google State of Theology. Uh, it's the first link that will pop up. You can go look at some of the responses. But uh, it was terrifying. Pastor Anson and myself and, and um, one of our elders in particular have been in an ongoing conversation about it because it alarmed us so much. Some of the results, some of the trends are heading in a really bad direction. Just a few of the ones that were most alarming. There's a question on there. Uh, Jesus was a, a good teacher, but he was not God. So, you know, what, what's the right answer to that question? Disagree. He is definitely God. Jesus was a good teacher, and he is God himself. Clear teaching of Scripture, Jesus is divine, second person of the Trinity, God Himself. Uh, of evangelicals, which they define in a very clear way that's pretty accurate, I would say, 43% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. I think it was 5% agree, I think whatever the math on that, 38% uh, strongly agreed with it. So almost half of evangelicals in America today don't believe that Jesus is God. That's not a saving Jesus. <laughs> That's, you could argue they're not Christians. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's heresy. That's, that's not a small, open-handed issue. That's an enormous central doctrine of the church. Uh, how about this one? The Bible is uh, a good book, but not literally true. Clearly disagree with that statement, but 26% of evangelicals agree with that. There's a growing movement even within the church to discount the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, and some people just do it with the Old Testament, but people just say, well, it's, you know, it's got value, but it's not like true. Jonah wasn't actually swallowed by a whale. Uh, Adam and Eve weren't literal people. They were just, you know, figments and, and things like this. The problem with that is, is obviously the, the, uh, the testimony of Scripture itself. Jesus himself references Jonah. Jesus himself references Adam and Eve and, and their marriage in Matthew 19. So there's you know, clear problems with trying to discount the inspiration and the authority of Scripture, but 26% of people do so. A uh, third one that I thought was really alarming, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. What do you, I mean, any guesses how many people agreed with that, evangelicals specifically? This is the one that most alarmed me. 56% of, of evangelicals agree with that. So more than half of evangelicals agreed or strongly agreed with the statement that God accepts all worship. What alarms me about that family is that uh, the clear teaching of Scripture is that every Muslim, every Jew who has not trusted in Christ, they're going to hell. Uh, God does not accept their worship 
God would not accept our worship either if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus that, that cleans us up. There's only one way to the Father, and Jesus is that way. Um, so if you believe that, though, how does that affect your evangelism? How does that affect the way you're raising your children? How does that affect how much you care about getting your family to church on Sundays? You know, it's, these things matter, family, but the, the, the reality of our age is, is you know, sort of this thinning process that can make us um, very much so, rather than a, a society of substance, a, a hashtag generation that just doesn't think deeply about things. So this environment exists to push back against all that. We want to help you grow in your knowledge of God's Word. We want to help you develop disciplines where daily you're studying the Scripture. And I don't just mean for these 10 weeks. I mean, I do want you to know Acts. Like, it's absolutely one of our primary goals that you would know Acts front to back by the end of this, this study, fall and the spring. You'd know why it was written, what it's about, who wrote it. Uh, for the rest of your life, you'd have a working knowledge of at least one book of the Bible that you would know deeply because you invested hard for 10 weeks now, 10 weeks in the spring. But I also want you for the other 32 weeks of the year to study the Bible on your own. I want you to, you know, men of the Word is not going to be sufficient for your own spiritual uh, walk with the Lord. It, it's going to come alongside you and, you know, like a good helper, help you develop some good disciplines. But the goal is that when we end, you'll continue to study the Bible on your own. So uh, towards the end, that, that God might use our persistent pursuit of Him in the Word to develop maturity in our lives. We want to help you know how to study the Bible uh, because this, this is how we grow. I mean, the Bible is very clearly the way that we grow in maturity. We, we actually uh, preach this. I got to preach this back when we were doing our psalm study. Psalm 1. Remember that great, great psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You know, the, the way we grow by the word is just like a tree. It's slow, but it's steady. It might just be one ring a year. You know, you, you spend 365 days digging into that book, and you just got a tiny little bit of growth to show for it. But it happens. And over 10 years and over 20 years, you, you develop this rigorous maturity that is, uh, that is profound. So that's what we're trying to accomplish. Help you have value for that in your life. Help you uh, know how to tap into that growth little by little, but persistently until we uh, get strong. All that to be said, you have a gift of, uh, of a little tree slice with some rings on it on your table. That's a coffee coaster. We started this last year, so now if you were here last year, you've got two of them, one for home, one for here. But uh, as you drink your coffee in the morning, remember that the Bible is what's going to grow you. It's, it might be slow. It might be maybe today doesn't feel like it mattered that much. You know, you get into the Word, you spend 15, 20, 30 minutes in there, and you think to yourself, did that change anything? The small little bites don't often feel like they're making a big difference. But family, I'm telling you, the habit of it, the, the persistence in it, the rhythms of it are very powerful over time. Uh, so take your faith seriously, men. Str strive for that maturity. Uh, our families need us to take our faith seriously. Your children need you to take your faith seriously. Your, your, your wife, your, uh, your church needs you to take it seriously. That's what this room is about. Second reason we do this is really to, uh, to build community among the men of our church. We don't have very many environments where the men get to get together, uh, just us. 
And I think it's a really important uh, thing, a, a habit in our lives to have brotherhood, to have uh, friendships, deep friendships with other men. Uh, they, they say the 30s are the year when uh, you know, most, most men will have friendships in high school, even into college. After college, there's still a richness that makes you want to develop it. But in the 30s, when your kids are growing and life gets busy and schedules are complicated, they call it the lonely years, when you begin to stop investing in relationships and you begin to just focus on your family. And you end up, by your 40s and your 50s, you maybe have one or two friends, but it's your, your family is sort of the focus of your life. Um, and I want to help you fight against that because the Bible is pretty clear. Community is how we grow. Community is how we stay accountable to uh, each other and to the Lord over time. Um, it's brothers that will help pull us back from you know, the, the landmines spiritually that we would otherwise step on it and get destroyed by. They're the ones that spur us on towards uh, love, obedience, and faithfulness to Jesus. So we want to have an environment where you can get to know other brothers. Uh, all that to be said, come and meet people. Don't just... Uh, don't just show up and, and be silent the whole time. Um, we want you to come, make relationships, go to breakfast with people after this, um, develop uh, your, your brotherhood with other men uh, because that's part of how God grows us. Um, yes, so all that to be said, let me uh, give you an overview of how our study will work. We sort of build everything around three parts. <clears throat> We'll start off every week with your personal study. So uh, next week will be the first normal week. This, this week is a lot of Brian talking. I apologize for that. Uh, but it's an overview orientation week. Uh, but there's th- three parts to this study. The first part is your personal time in God's Word that will happen between now and next Wednesday. So if you want to flip, go ahead and flip to page uh, 1415. <clears throat> Today is week one. Tomorrow begins week two. So I know that's one day is a whole week. Uh, it's just to try and keep it simple. Uh, week two is the study that you'll be doing this week, pages 14 and 15. Uh, it begins with Acts 1. And, and I want to just show you sort of how this is formatted. This, this year we did not write our own study. We are uh, partnering with the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, um, who created this. They've done a far better job than uh, we could have ever done. And uh, honestly, it's a, it's a very uh, faithful and very rich study. So we, um, being, being short-staffed right now, as many of you know, uh, and being limited for time, we decided to jump into this, which I think it'll be a great, a great time for all of us. But uh, the way this is formatted, every week has about 30 questions. And you have all week to get through them all. The goal is to, to have answers for all of it, to sort of you know, write little notes as you go through the study. But... Um, if you're a if you're a seven day a week kind of a guy, split the questions up, you know, accordingly. The way it's structured though is really for six days of study. Uh, most of us are probably going to miss one day, so that's helpful. Um, each day begins with this this red little icon, so you can kind of follow as you go through. The first day of every week, you're going to read through the whole passage consecutively and answer some big picture questions. Um, and then the second day, you'll dig into uh, a, a passage. So, for example, tomorrow I would encourage you to read that first part, Acts 1, from start to finish. Uh, the next day, on, on fr- Friday morning, shift your focus to Acts 1, 1 through 5, and answer those questions. Um, then look at Acts 1, 6 through 11 the next day. You kind of get how it follows like that. The red portions will sort of teach you when it's time to flip to a new day if you're going the daily way. So that... <clears throat> And then the sixth day is the wrap-up section, which is sort of what were the big things you learned from the week. Uh, uh, They sort of have this emphasis in this study about 
uh, seeing and paying attention to the attributes of God that you see uh, as you're reading. There's a great um, index at the back of the book, back in the appendix section of the different attributes of God. So if you want to sort of look through that and sort of see how God is, is developing there. But uh, that wrap-up would be day six as you go through the study. Um, so that's part one, your daily time in the Word. We're asking you to commit. If you're, if you're going to participate in this study for the 10 weeks, we're asking you to actually do this, to go home and participate in this daily reading time. Uh, part two is the discussion, discussion group. So when you come every week on Wednesday mornings, we'll start at tables just like this. This morning, you weren't assigned. You just could sit wherever you want. Next week, we'll begin uh, putting you at an actual table that you'll be with for the rest of the semester. Um, but at the tables, you will have your handy little notebook open. Uh, if you've got blanks everywhere, we know you didn't read. Uh, it's okay. Still come. But that's part of the good grind, family. We're trying to have some accountability to fa- for faithfulness here. So uh, try to come prepared. You will discuss a handful of questions uh, that you answered through the week. So we'll, we'll put those out at your tables. Uh, we'll assign some table leaders and, and guide through discussion for about the first half of our time together each week. So uh, personal reading, then weekly discussion with peers in these discussion groups. And then we'll conclude with a, a time of teaching. I'll teach that. Sometimes we'll have some of you teach that occasionally. But a, a chance for us to sort of uh, handle the, the confusing parts of the text, handle the big ideas, make sure you're tracking with um, some of the big themes that the Lord is, uh, has for us to study in this book. It's the most passive part. You know, you're very engaged in your personal study. You're very engaged in the discussion time. Uh, the teaching time is going to be more passive. But still, take notes, interact where you see uh, things that maybe you thought were true and then you realize, oh, that's, that's not really what was happening. Um, that'll be a good time to get everything Clear. All that being said, when you finish, by the end of each week, you will have interacted with the text three times. By yourself, with people, and then from a teacher. That's the method of learning called inductive learning, inductive um, uh, study approach, which researchers say is a really good way to make it stick and really get it in there so that it's with you for the long haul. So that's how we'll do it. Uh, that's how the plan will work. There are good note pages at the end of each um, week's study where you can take notes from our time together or if you have further thoughts as you study along, uh, that'll be of value to you. And one other thing that I'll point out, at the back of the book, again, the very back is the Attributes of God, uh, page 136. But before that is the entire um, first half of Acts, chapters 1 through 12, printed out for you, double-spaced. Uh, we've always provided for this for you in our, in our notebooks we've produced, and I'm so thankful that they provide it here as well, mainly because I want you to mark it up as you go. When you're doing your reading, when it tells you, sort of put a paper clip wherever you are in the book so you can flip back and forth, but uh, when it says read Acts 1 all the way through, go back here and do it. I know you have your Bible, but what's nice about this is, number one, it has no commentary. It's not a study Bible. It's just God's Word. It's you, the Word, and the Holy Spirit trying to work through it. That's a good place to start always when you're studying the Word. But it also, because it's on paper, you can mark this thing up. Circle words that are uh, repeated. Pay attention to themes that are, that are playing out. Hopefully by the end of this, you'll have a lot of good markups that are, that are helping you track uh, the book of Acts. You can go back and, and re-study it in the future uh, with some health. So um, I'll, I'll walk through in just a few minutes some of the, the big themes that you should be tracking as we go. Um, but I wanted to point that out as well. Um, all that to be said, uh, don't lose this thing. They're not cheap. Uh, sorry that we made you guys pay this time. We've never done a fee for Men of the Word. 
but we, I hadn't planned on this back last year when we were preparing our budget for 2022. So uh, paying $20 for all of you was a little bit outside of what I had prepared to do. So I appreciate you covering half that cost. Um, we are gl very glad to cover the rest. Uh, if you do lose it, we'll buy you a new one. No big deal. Um, but, uh, but hang on to this, keep it tight, and we'll go through. All that being said, I uh, got some discussion questions that I'd love to just take five or ten minutes at your tables to go through. Uh, first, take a moment to evaluate your current spiritual life. Would you say you're growing right now? You know, sort of think about right now, this last month or two, uh, how does this compare to other seasons in your life? Uh, that's the first one. Second question, describe your current habits in personal study of Scripture. Be honest here. And I'll just encourage you, men do this thing, you know. We're, we're men, like, uh, I'm great, I'm growing, I'm, I've read the, the Bible four times a day for the last month, it's been amazing. Uh, resist that urge, like, vulnerability and authenticity is what we need to grow. If there's a check on your spirit where you're like, I don't really want to tell the true answer, that's probably a good indication you really need to tell the true answer. So, so push back past that veneer of uh, trying to look like a holy person and just be who you are. God accepts you as you are, be who you are, that's how we can approach uh, growing and, and changing. Um, so be honest with those two especially. And then the third question is really to help, uh, if any of you are real successful here, help give wisdom to everybody else. Have you ever had success in developing long-term discipline in your study of Scripture? If so, what helped you there? So all that to be said, take a few minutes, talk through these questions, and we'll circle back up and, and finish up with our Acts overview. All right, guys, let me pull you back together. <clears throat> Hate to do that. I know discussion time can be the most valuable part of our time together, but I want to uh, make sure to cover a few more things before we dismiss. And we'll always do our best to get you out of here by 7 o'clock. I know a lot of you have to get to work. Um, we appreciate you being here uh, on time so we can always start on time. Um, if you ever do need to leave like five, ten minutes early, feel free to, to get up. This is a casual environment. If you need more coffee, too bad we're out. So, uh, <laughs> bring your own. Yeah, bring your own. Um, all right, uh, if you will, flip to page eight and then also pull out the handout that we gave you, How to Study the Bible. Real quickly, uh, we love to provide this at the start of each season of Men of the Word as a resource for you. Tuck this in your Bible. Keep it for the long haul. Um, this is uh, something we've written up about how to study the Bible faithfully. Uh, I don't know if you've ever developed faithful habits in, in studying God's Word before, but, um, but if not, hopefully this will be a good framework for, for how to think about it. In this book, they, they have it as well. Uh, this is from page 8, the Village Church Bible Literacy Tools, that purple section on page 8. Uh, is sort of the same approach. But the, the concept is a lot of people go wrong in studying the Bible by going too quickly to personal application. So you read a text and you immediately think about yourself and how do I fit into this and what is it trying to teach me? And, and that's, not, that's a good goal to have when studying the Scripture, but sometimes if you, if you move there too quickly, if you try to immediately pull the truth out to apply to your life, you can pull out things that aren't actually true at all. You can bypass understanding what the text means and, and therefore pulling out applications that aren't actually true about the scripture. This is what's called proof texting when you just read one scripture, one passage, one verse and don't consider its context. Don't try to think about what the author actually meant to say there and therefore you're assuming things that the author is saying that he's not actually saying and you're pulling out your assumptions and applying them to your life and it's not actually real. You see Christians 
you probably know Christians that develop all sorts of wacky theologies and wacky applications in their life um, from, and they say it's based on the Bible, and it's not actually. You know, we're actually going to read uh, in, our, in our studies this week, um, the early disciples, you know, there were, there were 12 of them, uh, Judas hung himself, so now there's only 11, and one of the first acts of the church is the apostles decide we need to replace Judas. There's supposed to be 12. Uh, we need to find a replacement for him. And they think long and hard about that decision. They narrow it down to two people, and they really don't know which one to pick. And so they decide to cast lots to choose the, the, 12th, the 12th apostle. I mean, this is not a small decision at all, and they're literally flipping a coin to decide who it is. Does that mean that we should flip coins for all of our decision-making? It's in the Bible. Every big decision you face, should you just pull out a dice and roll it? Is that the, is that the biblical way of making decisions? We're going to talk about that next week. But, but you get what I'm saying. Like You can, you can uh, see things in the Bible, call it normative. Uh, you know, uh, Jacob had two wives. Uh, I can have two wives, right? Um, you have to be careful, all that to say, when applying the Bible. So, you cannot have two wives. Uh, just to be clear, really clear. Uh, I wonder if that's on the State of Theology survey. Uh, I'd be curious to know what people believe about that. Anyways, if you want to study the Bible faithfully, a good approach is exactly what's listed on this paper, on this uh, page 8. It's sort of a three-step process to make sure what you're pulling out is true. So it starts with observation. They call that stage comprehension in, in this study. But it's basically your goal is to, uh, like, what does this text actually say? To understand the words that are written. You need to look at context. You need to think about who wrote these words and why. Um, what are the words, you know, what are the definitions of these words? What words come before and after? Uh, sort of thinking about what is actually being said in this text before even thinking about yourself. The second step, interpretation. This is more trying to make some conclusions and some, um, some, some deep examination of what the, uh, what the passage is saying. Here you're trying to interpret the, the meaning of the words into truth for life. So what is it saying about God? What's it saying about, uh, what's it saying about man? What commands, promises, warnings are being given here? Um, you know, what big theme is being developed that the author is trying to convey into our hearts. You're really trying to get to the actual biblical truths that are present in Scripture so that you can then, step three, apply it to your life. This is the part where you bring it home to yourself. Um, but just make sure you're not moving too quick to application, uh, but you're taking the time to read the text slowly, to study it thoughtfully, to mark up your text and, and pay attention to themes as they develop um, so that whatever truths you're seeing are actually biblical truths that are worth applying. We've also included on here um, some guidelines for the different genres of Scripture. One important thing about studying Scripture is that you know the poetry of Psalms you should read differently than the history of Acts, which you should read differently than the uh, you know apocalyptic literature of Revelation. There's sort of some... Uh, each of these styles of literature is different. Poetry is different than narrative. Um, you know, how, how, do we, how do we think about all these things? Here's some interpretation guidelines for all the genres in the Bible. We also have some in there, of course, for New Testament history, which is the only history book in the New Testament is Acts. Uh, we don't call the Gospels history books. Uh, those are in their own category. But feel free to use this. Hang on to it. Uh, it's a good way as you study other books of the Bible to know how to approach things. And with that, as we study Acts, it's really important to know some contextual realities about this book. So I want to take the last 10 minutes of our time, uh, flip to page 11 in your notebooks, 
and give you some overview of what this book of Acts is that we're studying. Uh, it's not coincidental that we're studying Acts alongside Luke uh, on, on, in, on our Sunday services right now in this season. They're both written by the exact same man. So five questions here we'll go through. Uh, who wrote the book of Acts? It was Luke. Uh, he was a physician. He was a companion to Paul on his second and third missionary journeys and on his voyage to Rome. He was with him at the end of his life. Um, technically, it is anonymous. Both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts don't self-attribute Luke as the author. You will not find him uh, saying, I'm Luke, you know, here's my book that I'm writing to you. Um, however, we have a lot of confidence as the church that it is Luke that is writing for a few reasons. Number one, uh, early church tradition, as early as 150 AD, so just about 60 years after we, we think it was written, um, it starts showing up in uh, extra-biblical works from Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, Eusebius, Tertullian, all these guys uh, attribute these books as being written by Luke. So from the very beginning, though he didn't write his own name, when he started passing this out, when people started making copies, they knew it was written by Luke, and that was finally recorded on paper uh, in the early 2nd century. So we know early church tradition just sort of held that it was Luke who wrote it. It's also consistent that it's Luke with a few internal realities. So uh, in the book of Acts especially, there's a bunch of we passages. When you get to chapter 16, 20 through about 28, suddenly the narrative changes from like third person to first person and whoever's writing it was on these journeys and he says you know we went to Troas we went to Cyprus uh, he's describing himself as being present on these and from the epistles we know you know pretty much who was with Paul on a lot of these journeys and it uh, turns out it can really only be two people either Titus or Luke who wrote these books if they're going to use you know we um, in in the uh, in the passages there and the only one that makes sense when you start to compare other things uh, is Luke, especially considering the early church attributed it to Luke. So we're, we're very confident that it was Luke. The author was an educated Gentile. He uses a very uh, elevated, educated form of Greek. He has a methodical approach to writing. All of that would be very consistent with a physician. Um, so we're very confident that Luke was the author of the book of Acts. Um, to whom was it written? He addresses these books to a man named Theophilus. Um, you can find that in, in the first verse of, of Acts um, or in the beginning of Luke as well. Uh, originally, these books were written as one. So they, they're too long. Together, they make up about a third of the New Testament. Uh, Luke wrote more words than any other New Testament author. Um, but they were too long to be on one scroll. So Luke wrote the, the Gospel of Luke on the first scroll, and then he wrote the second book the, 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 that we call Acts um, there on the on the second scroll, but both of them are addressed to a man named Theophilus. In Luke uh, chapter 1, he says, um, what is he? Uh, I wrote this to provide an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. We studied that a few weeks ago um, on Sunday. Um, here in Acts chapter 1, he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And then he gets into what he's talking about here. So Theophilus was the original author. Some people think that Theophilus was just the benefactor. So he was the one who financed Luke's research and sort of paid for him to be able to um, go interview people and, and write these things. That was a common practice at this time in that part of the world. 
Um, so it's possible that it wasn't actually written to Theophilus, that he was just the one who paid for it, but he certainly would have received an early copy. But very clearly, as you read it, it was written to give an account of the early church. He's, he's writing to provide uh, clarity on the history of what happened after Jesus ascended. Um, and it's actually the only account we have that's, that survived to now. There's no extra biblical account of these first 30 years. It provides an overview of the early church for its thir- first 30 years of existence. Uh, it's, it's indispensable in our understanding of uh, what happened after Jesus left. Um, when was it written? Uh, it, it, there's a little bit of speculation here, but we know it's sometime between AD 62, 62 AD or and 80, 85 A.D., so between 62 and 85 is when it was written. Um, the last event that's recorded happened in 62 when Paul is in prison in Rome. Um, and then we know that Luke died about 85. So somewhere in there is when it was written. There's two main theories of dating. One is that, that it was written early, so right there at 62, sometime before 64. I fall into alignment with that, uh, mainly because Paul died in A.D. 64. So, and it's not recorded in Acts, and I feel like that's a big deal to leave out when most of part two of, of the book of Acts is just following Paul's journeys. So to leave out the fact that he died, I think it would be uh, only ex- ex- explainable with the fact that he hadn't died yet. So uh, all that to be said, I, I think it was written sometime between uh, 62 and 64 AD while Paul was still imprisoned in Rome. Um, but there is a theory that it was sometime after 70, sometime between 70 and 85. The theory of that, that side goes with the assumption that Luke was written after the book of Mark. We're pretty confident that Mark was not, the gospel of Mark was not written until about uh, 70 AD. Um, and Luke, Luke, Mark, and Matthew are what's called, what are known as the synoptic gospels because they share a lot of the same content. So a lot of the quotations from Jesus, a lot of the the history of Jesus are very similar between those three. John stands on its own. His is is very distinctive from those three. But some people assume that Mark was the first one written. And if that's true and it was written in 70, then there's no way that Luke was writing the book of Acts before that because he clearly wrote Luke first and then Acts. So some people think it was later on in his life. I, I don't follow that line of thought, but it is a possibility. We don't quite know. He didn't write the date down. Man, when you're writing a paper, write your name, write the date. Come on, guys. Um, didn't, didn't we learn this? Genre, what style was it written? Together with Luke and the other three Gospels, Acts falls into this category of, of Scripture that we call biblical historical narrative. So it is about narrative. It is about uh, providing history, but it's doing so alongside theological and redemptive truth. So it's not just trying to tell the story, but trying to convey the redemptive truth of the gospel in the midst of those stories. Um, it's, it's clearly written in a high form of Greek. The vocabulary and syntax are um, among the most polished in all the New Testament. There's very clearly an educated author who's writing all these things, but it's written as inspired narrative to help us see and grasp the redemptive purposes of God. Um, One little note here about Luke and about the style. Um, I am so thankful for God's providence in raising up a man like Luke to record these events. Uh, Luke is my favorite gospel of the four, personally. Um, And Acts is incredible. As you read it, you'll come to see that. Luke, whoever wrote these, if it's not Luke, maybe that's possible, but I think it was him. This guy was incredibly detailed, incredibly careful with names and dates, incredibly careful with uh, like writing things down with precision. So we have in those two books, 
a you know, immaculate glimpse of God you know, working his strength and his giftings and his talents within the body to strengthen the body. Here was a guy who was smart, intellectual, intelligent, curious, a researcher, and God used all those giftings to bless us for millennia with these great, authoritative, accurate uh, accounts of the early life of Christ and, and the early church. Um, so I just want to mention that as uh, a reminder that all of you, God's given gifts as well. Some of you are really good at different things. Like, don't underestimate the value that you can bring to the kingdom when you, you know, are who you are, are who God has wired you to be, and, and let those gifts play out. All right, last one here. What are the central themes of the books? Uh, of the book, I have five that I want to point out to you, and I want to really encourage you. I know it's kind of a, a girly thing to have like a bunch of colorful pens and sort of like use different colored markers as you draw on things. Um, I think the, the women, when they do Bible studies, like Heather hands out uh, colored pencils so that the ladies can do this. I don't have colored pencils for you. Um, but on my desk, in my little uh, cup holder, I, I actually do keep uh, a set of colorful uh, pens for when I'm doing deep study of Scripture like this. Themes are a big deal in the Bible. When you read a book, you probably won't notice the themes until like chapters 8 and 9 and 10. A study Bible can be really helpful about telling you what the themes are before you start. But tracking a theme through a book is so helpful for understanding the big purposes of any part of Scripture. So I want to go ahead and give you the five biggest ones that are going to play out in Acts. And from any moment, you know, chapter 1 on that you see them, I want you paying attention to them. Circle them. If you don't have colorful markers to distinguish them, at least like, you know, write it out to the side so that you can follow it and track it as it goes. Oftentimes when we read slowly through Scripture, we don't notice these big overarching themes, but those are the diamonds. Those are the, the rich stuff that, that uh, is most valuable to apply to your life. So um, all that to be said, here's the five you should be tracking. Number one, the Holy Spirit. Uh, this book carries the subtitle Acts of the Apostles. Um, but it could really maybe better be called Acts of the Holy Spirit because without question, he's the central character of this story. Uh, he's mentioned more than 50 times. He's shown to be the founder of the church, the leader of the early church. You know, the, the church at every stage in this book is shown to be spirit-led, spirit-filled. The power and explosive growth that the church experienced in the early days is all due to the work of the Spirit. Um, he, everywhere he shows up, he moves and then the church advances. The Holy Spirit moves and the church advances. Just pay attention to that. It's an, a really beautiful theme that develops over time. The second one, write it down as witness. Witness or witnessing. Um, you could also write down there preaching or proclaiming. Um, it's directly connected with the theme of the Holy Spirit, and it's really the big theme of the book of Acts. Um, and what I mean by it is again and again, the apostles in the early church they're, they're growing through this act of witnessing. They, the apostles are witnesses of the things that they've seen in Christ, and they witness about it to people. And when people hear them preaching and proclaiming and witnessing about Jesus, they receive the gospel, they believe, the church grows. So there's this direct connection between the Holy Spirit coming and providing power, the uh, early church being witnesses of the gospel, and then people believing the church growing. So just pay attention to that dynamic. Uh, Holy Spirit and witnessing. In fact, the theme of the, of the whole book can be summarized there in uh, verse 8 of chapter 1, which says, you're probably familiar with it, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the, everything you're going to see again and again. Power from the Holy Spirit coming down and then witnessing going forth to carry the gospel to the nations. Uh, third big theme, the, the church. Acts provides a panoramic tour of the history of the early church during its first 30 years of existence. 
right from when Jesus ascends to heaven up to Paul's arrest. It provides the only existing history of the early church. You're going to see the church born. You're going to see the church expand. You're going to see them be persecuted, scatter across the nations, carry the gospel to new places, send out missionaries. It's beautiful. It is an incredible book. It is very inspiring to read. Uh, it's very convicting to read, but the, watching the church develop is, is going to be a big thing. You'll see the practices of the church, them praying, practicing the Lord's Supper. You're going to see the offices of the church develop, apostles, elders, deacons, how all that stuff came to be about is going to play out in front of you. Fourth one, salvation history. Luke develops the gospel as the culmination of a long you know, history of salvation that began back in the Old Testament all the way to now. So he's going to show you that the gospel is not distinct from the Old Testament, but is the development of God's redemptive process from the Old to the New, sort of giving you a big glimpse of the whole salvation history of the Bible. And number five, evangelism uh, slash the Great Commission. Um, very clearly in this book, you're going to see the gospel going forth to the nations. You could almost call uh, the book of Acts like the Great Commission showcase. You know, uh, what, what Jesus gave to his disciples at the end of his life, go and make disciples of all nations, they're doing in the book of Acts. You're going to see it scatter from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So pay attention to those themes as we go. They're going to be the most important ones um, as you follow through. Uh, dig in. Tomorrow we begin with the overview. Uh, do all of your, your week two homework this week, and we'll come back next week and discuss it. Let me pray for us. It's 7 o'clock, so we're right on the dot. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this environment. Would you bless us as we study your word? Would you convict us, challenge us, and equip us, Father, to be faithful men um, for you, living for you every day of our lives. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, y'all are dismissed. See you next week.